number 7, Acts chapter number 7. We've been on Sunday evenings going through the book of Acts now for a while. And um, it's been a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you as well. Acts chapter number 7. And if you remember last week, we started chapter 7. And literally we went through 36 verses. That was quite a long passage. But so, and hopefully, we're going to go tonight from 37 to 53. So we're taking, if you remember a few weeks ago, we saw that there's this man, Stephen. He was not a pastor of a church. He was one of the first deacons. And as one of the first, does anyone need an outline for tonight? Everyone got an outline? Everyone good to go? Everyone's got the outline? All right, good. So we'll go with that. And so that's good. I'm going to leave this reserved here. It's reserved for the pastor of the pulpit right here. We're just going to leave that sitting right there. I think that's a good spot for that, Margie. The pulpit's reserved. It's been reserved. I tell, this morning we had some, well, I had someone here, one of my friends, he comes every once in a while, Smitty, and he's sitting back there, and I said, why don't you come join me on the platform? I got four great seats up here. I feel lonely during the sermon. He's like, um, no, I'm not going to. If anybody ever wants, there's four seats right here, and you can look and see what I have to look at during every sermon, and see the faces that people make, the things that people do. There are a lot of things that go on during a service that you would be shocked if you got to see you all get this handsome face to look at up here, and I get all these handsome and pretty faces out here to look at too. You weren't expecting me to say that, but sometimes I feel that way, but I might be needing glasses, but that's another story for another time. As we look at Stephen, Stephen's going to die for his faith. They don't like his message. They don't like the fact that he stands for Jesus Christ. So they bring him before the Sanhedrin, basically before the court. And in all reality, this is the same group of people that a few months before crucified Jesus. Stephen's not going to make it out of this. And what he does is he preaches a message to them, trying to get them to see who Jesus is. For sake of review, I'm just going to run through a few things from the first 36 verses from last week, and then we'll dive into this week. But Stephen, as he's there before the Sanhedrin, we see the fact that the priest asks him if he really did the things he's been accused of. Remember, they hired people to say he did things that he didn't do. They couldn't find anything against him, and so they basically tried to lie against him. And so the high priest asks him, so what do you have to say for yourself? And he ignores those things. And we see he goes back to Abraham. And he reminds the Sanhedrin here, he reminds them how God told Abraham to leave his family and to go to a new land by himself. That was quite... You know, today, if you're going to go somewhere, you get in the car and you know where you're going for the most part. And if you don't know where you're going, you have that GPS thing you can use. And think about how things have advanced. It was only, what, 20 years ago? Right when I first started driving that I had to use a Thomas guide. Anybody know what a Thomas guide is still? Yeah, some of you still use those Thomas guides. And does anyone still use a Thomas guide? Uh, we saw the few that do. And so the phone is so much easier than the Thomas guide. I just don't, I get tired of it telling me, make a right turn. No, be, don't tell me where. So I will get the directions, but then I don't let its voice talk to me. And I don't care what, what voice it is. It's just, I don't want someone telling me where. So anyways, but... I'm grateful for those things. But you pull out your GPS, and you're like, I'm starting here, and I'm going to this spot. God told Abraham, I want you to take your wife, and I want you to go to the land I'm going to tell you where to go. And go. Leave your family and go. 
It took faith for Abraham to do that. And it took Abraham some time. Abraham did not do exactly what God told him right away, but he had faith in God, and God promised Abraham some things. And do you realize God, and God always fulfills his promises, but still Abraham's seed has not fully gotten all that God said he would give them. And that's why things are not done and complete yet, because God still has some things to do with Israel. But Abraham had faith in God. And not only did he have faith, but he also, it took a long time. The children of Israel, after he had died, they were in bondage for 400 years. You think not only did they have Abraham, but they had Joseph. And Joseph, his brother, hated him. Remember Joseph got the coat of many colors? And his brothers despised him, and they ended up selling him into Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he got lied about by Potiphar's wife. He gets put in jail, but through it all, God was with him, and he ends up being second in command in Egypt. And with that, he ends up helping his brethren, and he does some great things, and the children of Israel move there. And then they don't leave, and they grow, and the children of Israel grow, and they grow, till finally, I believe, there became this Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph anymore. And the children of Israel are multiplying, and so they put them into bondage. And they finally cry out to God, God, help us. And God sent them Moses. But remember, Moses did things a little bit out of order. He helped them when he should have waited for God's timing. And so he went to the wilderness for 40 years. But God used Moses and so what we see is Stephen is going through, and what we see is he's just telling them and reminding them of some things, reminding them about how it was with Abraham, how it was with Joseph, and how it was with Moses. And in the Sanhedrin there, when you heard those big names, you heard Moses, you heard Abraham, that rang a bell with them. And so Stephen was going somewhere with the message. And so tonight we are down in verse 37. And we're going to read from 37 to 53. I know it's a few verses here tonight, but you will be okay. Starting in verse 37, it says, This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brother, and like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spake to him in Mount Sinai, and with your fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Remember, they made the golden calf. And they said, this be thy gods, O Israel, that brought you out. They literally made an idol their God. And so we keep on reading here. It says, then God turned and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven. As is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and the star of your God, Raphim, figures which he made to worship them. And I carried you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of, of witness in the wilderness. As he appointed, speaking unto Moses, they should make it according to the fashion they had seen. 
which also our fathers that came after brought in with, in, with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the day of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. How be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Now Stephen turns to the crowd there. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes that we have tonight as we look a little closer at this passage and try and break it down. Help us tonight that we get what you have for us. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Very quickly we see at the end there that Stephen calls them out for not listening to the Holy Spirit. And then next week, Lord willing, we will see how Stephen is a martyr for his faith. And they didn't listen to the message. But as we look tonight at the second part of Stephen's message, I want to try and tie it together for you. Because this is the thing. We just read all those verses, right? And some of you, you're like, what did you just say? The goal, and one of the goals of preaching is to help us to understand what is there. And so we're going to take a little bit of time tonight and break down Stephen's message, part number two tonight. And we'll see where we get. Stephen is standing giving a testimony here before the Sanhedrin. Stephen is a man that loves God. He's full of faith. He's full of power. And we see here that he's just proclaiming the truth of God. And we see, and may I just remind you of something, we see he's one of the first deacons the church had. In a church, God has appointed two offices, the office of pastor and the office of deacon. Now, when we think about a deacon, we don't think, when we think of deacons today, We think of people who like to run the church and tell the church what to do, and that was never God's intent. Deacons come alongside and help the church. And I'll tell you this, deacons are soul winners like Stephen, and they teach the word of God. Stephen did these things. And we see this with Stephen here. As he's defending the testimony of Christ, he goes back and shares with them about Abraham, about Joseph and Moses. They say, well, what's he doing? He's trying to remind them of the fact that before they ever had the temple and their establishment, they rejected God's leaders they had then. Do you know they rejected Moses? They did. They rejected Joseph. They rejected them, and guess what they did? They rejected Jesus Christ. They missed out on their opportunity, and they were going to reject the message that Stephen had for them today. But his fearless message stands as a reminder for us today that one of the two things we've got to remember is we don't need to harden our hearts when the Spirit of God is working on us. 
And you might be here tonight, and I don't know what the case is and where you're at in your Christian life, and I don't know if you, for sure you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's between you and God. But what I will tell you tonight is that if the Spirit of God is convicting you about something, don't be like the children of Israel here. He's called them stiff-necked. They were not listening. They were resisting what God was trying to do in their life. And Christian, may I help you out tonight? Don't resist what God's trying to do in your life. If you're not saved tonight and the Spirit of God is convicting you of your need of salvation, may I implore you tonight not to resist that calling from God and to listen to Him tonight. And also, not only do we see that we shouldn't resist God and the Holy Spirit, but we also need to have boldness like Stephen. Stephen didn't try to get out of this thing and leave. He boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, as we look at our tonight, we see, number one, the Jews refused Moses. Number one, the Jews refused Moses. We saw this in verse 37 through verse 43. Stephen reminds the Sanhedrin of some of the prophecies regarding a coming Messiah and reminded them that Moses was a forerunner for Christ. When we look and we think about this, we see about Moses, letter A, we see that God, he, he was, God's man was chosen. It was, and you think about this, Moses had prophesied that there was going to come a prophet that the people would hear. Deuteronomy 18, in verse number 15, it says, The Lord thy God will raise thee, uh, raise thee what a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. And we see that God's man was chosen. Who is God's man? Who is this prophet? Jesus is this prophet. And when we look at this and we see these, we see the fact and... We can look more at the children of Israel here. It's interesting. Do you see how they're called the church in the wilderness? Do you see that there in verse 38? Say, so, well, the church is a New Testament thing. It's not an Old Testament thing. The, they're referred to as a church because they were called out of Egypt. And it's interesting, isn't it, when you look at that, how they were called out of Egypt? They were, you had, they, they went through the Passover, and the blood was applied to the door, and then they crossed the Red Sea, a picture of baptism. The blood and baptism, the church in the wilderness. It's a picture of the later church. Now, as we look at this, we see that God's man was chosen, but we also see, and you've got to understand something, that prophet is referring to Christ, but look at what Moses says here. He's going to be like unto me, and unto him he shall hearken. They didn't always hearken to Moses. And God's man would be chosen, but God's man, letter B, would also be rejected. It started with Moses. Moses was rejected. When we look at the fact that Moses was rejected, you've got to understand, they would not obey the living oracles that Moses brought them. The people turned against Moses, and they created a golden calf. In all reality, though, they were not just rejecting Moses. They were rejecting God and his plan for them is what they were doing. And you say, well, no, Moses just didn't come down for a while. No, he didn't. But God, uh, he went up there to be with God to get for them the Ten Commandments, to get what they needed to live their life. And Moses was going to return. But we see in the midst of those days that they decided, no, we're going to worship this golden calf. And isn't it interesting? They took the gold that they took with them out of Egypt, and they made themselves a calf. The Bible tells us in Exodus 32, in verse 8 and 9, it says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. 
They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Isn't it interesting that later on Stephen calls them a stiff-necked people again? Why? Because they're rejecting what God has for them. They're not wanting it. They're not getting it. They're not wanting what God has. They had everything there. Israel scorned the one who could bring them. You think about this. God delivered them out of Egypt. And now they're worshiping this golden calf and saying, this is the God that brought us out. They left. They rejected Moses and God. So go New Testament. Jesus comes. He lives a sinless life. The word of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they come to Jesus and they reject him. And they don't want the Messiah, the chosen one of God. And they reject him and they reject anyone who gives the message about Jesus Christ. Like Stephen here. Do you see how they're doing the same thing in Stephen's day as they did back in the wilderness? It's the same thing. Just the second verse of the same thing. God's word, God had given them his word, and they could have followed Moses and been just fine. God's word also told them, the Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The Jews had no excuse. They were without excuse not to receive Christ because he fulfilled everything the Bible said. Hey, do you remember how those wise men came? And they came and they're like, we see this star. Oh, well, it's just follow, you know, follow that star. They searched. They knew. It, the Bible said it was clear about the star. But the scribes couldn't figure it out. They rejected him. The scriptures were fulfilled. You could read this Old Testament scriptures and see it is Jesus. You ask a, you ask a professing Jew today and ask them where they stand, when, and in Judaism, where they stand with Isaiah 53. If I read Isaiah 53, it is super clear that it's referring to Jesus Christ, and he would be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It, pre- it pleased the Lord to bruise him. But you ask a Jew, and they say that's referring to their nation, not a man. Why? They are blind, and they rejected the truth that was there. They were rejecting Stephen and his message in his day. We see, letter C, that the people accepted idolatry. The sacred calf was one of the many gods of Egypt. And may I, just, may I just remind you of the fact why God is against idols. You cannot take the God of heaven and make him into something. He is far greater than anything we could ever put him into. And to take the God of heaven and to bring him down to our level and to put him into an idol is totally against who he is. He is set apart. There is no one like the God of heaven. And he deserves to be worshipped that way. We cannot take him and make an image out of him. You can't take the things of this world. And you think about Egypt. Egypt always pictures the world in the Bible. And what they did is they took these things, and they took this calf, and they made an idol and said, this is our God. 
when they knew the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, was the God who delivered them out of Egypt. But they rejected him. And they accepted idolatry. May I just remind you that it's still the same today. People are still searching and finding false gods all over the place. And worshiping gods that are not gods that should be worshipped. And it's no different today. In all reality, if we're being truly honest, back in this day with Stephen, there was idolatry going on there. The high priest, there was idolatry there. Their temple was an idol of theirs. And you see, Jesus came, and you remember they said, he said he would destroy this temple. They were so consumed with the temple. They weren't consumed with God's presence in their temple because God's presence had long gone from there. It was an idol to them. They made it something it had no business being. They were more concerned about what they had than having God in the flesh in their presence. They accepted the idolatry. We see, from number one, that the Jews rejected Moses. Number two, we see that the Jews, that there was rejection of true worship. There was rejection of true worship. Verse 44 through verse 50, it says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that they should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus unto the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the day of David, who found favor with God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him in house, Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house shall he build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hands made all these things? Stephen is reminding them that the emphasis wasn't placed on the tabernacle or on the temple above God himself. Because let's be honest here. What were the Jews afraid of? What was the high priest afraid of? Everything they had would be taken away by Jesus. They liked what they had. They liked their temple. They liked their setup. They liked their money that they got. They didn't, they felt threatened by Jesus. And they should because Jesus made it. There was no need for a temple anymore. When he died, he died once for all. There would be no more need to make sacrifices. There would be no more need to do the things that there was no need for a temple anymore. And what the Jews ended up doing was they worshipped their stuff more than they worshipped the God of heaven. And may I just help you Baptists in the room tonight. Sometimes we as Baptists get so caught up on our Baptist things that we worship our traditions more than we worship the true God of heaven. May that never be said in this church. I, I stand for things. I am a Baptist to the core. I get those things. That's not changing in me, but I'll tell you this. I follow Jesus Christ, and he is my lead, not the traditions of the Baptist church. But some Baptists, unless you do it this way, then you're just not a good Baptist, and God probably doesn't love you that way. And Baptists, yeah, no, we trace ourselves back to John the Baptist. And if you really think that's the case, you got, you got, you got some issues there. That's not how it works. But I want you to understand tonight, don't get so caught up 
in a system of things that you love your system more than you love the God of heaven. And I've seen it over and over again. And I've seen it in churches and people that I love dearly where they are so concerned about their system and their setup that they will turn people away and hurt people to keep their setup strong. And in all reality, you're not even truly worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping your set of doctrines. And doctrine's important, but don't get caught up. It's the same thing the Jews did here. They loved what they had, and they didn't want Jesus to mess it up. And in the church, if we love what we have and we don't want Jesus to mess it up, we got problems. So I want Jesus to come and mess it all up and make it what he wants it to be. That's what we want in the church. But the Jews, they rejected the true worship of God. We see, first of all, letter A, we see the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's tent in the middle of his people. God took up residence with his people. I think it's so awesome that God was there with them in the wilderness. They messed up. They got away from him, but he was right there, and his presence was with them there. The tabernacle was made after a heavenly pattern. And we know that there was a mercy seat in there, and there was all these different things, and that tabernacle was brought into the promised land. And we see that the Ark of the Covenant and those things over time, it ended up not meaning anything to the people. If you remember, oh, we're going to battle. We better bring it out. Better bring it out with us to battle. It didn't mean anything. They just wanted it there so they could win the battle. Remember how the Philistines took it? It's one of my favorite stories in all the The Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant, and they place the Ark of the Covenant in their in the house with their God. And they go into the house of their God, and their God is face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. I love that. I, don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, because he does. I just think, you look at that to see their God that they worshiped, he's flat on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. Even that God knew better than to be worshiped. He worshiped God. They had the tabernacle. Not only did they have the tabernacle, but letter B, they had the temple. And man, David had a desire. David, he saw his house and all that he had, and David had a heart for God. And let me just say, David made a mess of a lot of things in his life. But aren't you glad that God works with messes? Aren't you glad that God works with people that aren't perfect? I look at David, and one of the things I appreciate the most about David was that David just had a heart for God. Yeah, he messed up, and yes, he did a lot of things he should not have done, but he had a heart for God. And when others wouldn't have thought of it, he's like, look at all that I have, and I want to give God something. I want God to have a house better than my house. If you remember, God didn't allow David to build the temple, but he let his son. And God said he would take David's family line and carry them on, and Jesus would be a part of that line. The temple was built in 516 B.C., but if you remember that temple over time, there was a lot of bad things that took place in that temple. A lot of idol worship that took place in the temple there. And you've got to understand, they missed it. Their temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The temple was rebuilt later on under Zerubbabel. And for a little bit of time, they got back to true worship there. And the Jews always looked to their temple as the place for them to worship God. Do you remember what Jesus said when he saw, remember the woman at the well? 
So we, we go to this mountain, and what did God say? What did Jesus say in John 4, verse number 24? God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't need a temple to worship God tonight. You don't need a tabernacle in the wilderness. Hey, you don't need this church building to worship God tonight. You can worship God anywhere. But the people ignored this. They didn't get it. They didn't want to get it. And we see thirdly and lastly tonight, we see that these Jews were resisting the Holy Spirit. Verse 51, we see, he says, Ye stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have rejected the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Stephen is looking right at this crowd before his eyes. And we see letter A, the fact that they opposed God like their fathers had done. They opposed him in their hearts. They opposed the Holy Ghost. They didn't want what he was talking to them about. They were resisting it. They opposed it. What did the fathers do? Oh, they, they threatened Moses, didn't they, several times that they were going to take him out. Why do you lead us out here? They get there. That you think about um, Elijah. He was persecuted by Jezebel. Zechariah was martyred for his faith. Hey, John the Baptist was killed for his faith before the just one, Jesus Christ, was murdered. What Stephen is telling them here is he explains the fact that he himself had not broken the law, but that they had broken the law because they rejected Jesus Christ. And they wanted no part of it. The Spirit of God was convicting them. But they were not listening. How many times does the Spirit of God convict us? And we don't listen. I want to encourage you, when the Spirit of God speaks to you, do what he tells you to do. And let me, I'm not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God speaks to you as an individual through the preaching of God's word and through the things of God. But these people, they opposed in their hearts. They opposed with their actions. And then, letter B, and lastly, we see they disobeyed God like their fathers had done. Stephen points out the fact and finishes his message by pointing out their continued disobedience to God and the people that were sent. Now you notice, you see the disposition of angels. You see the word angels there? That word is the same word as a messenger. There were a lot of prophets that prophesied that they didn't listen to. Their refusal to accept Jesus was not where their disobedience began, but their pride and all that they did, what they, what they did was the same thing that their fathers had done. 
and they were so stuck on themselves and their way and their temple and what they had that they couldn't take what God's word said and what Stephen brought to them, and they ignored it and wanted nothing. We're not too much different today in the way we live our lives. We like things the way we want them to be, and we don't like people to mess with what we have. And do you know what happens sometimes in life? This book messes with what we have and what we think. But this book should be our guide for all that we do and all that we live. And Stephen brought the Jews God's message. And they're like, no, no, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. I'm not listening to that. I don't want it. The Spirit of God was convicting them. This is right. You should believe this. This is what you need. And they're like, nope, this is not what we need. We're fine where we're at. We don't need anything better. We're going to do what we've always done. And he's going to die in a few minutes for his faith, Stephen is. They had an opportunity. Something that's interesting, we'll get there next week. But there's a spot that Stephen says he sees Jesus standing. Standing. Stand, you say, well, standing... Everywhere else we read, we read that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us that only the Father knows when Jesus is going to return, correct? Could it have been that Jesus thought maybe the Jews were going to listen? And he was standing to come receive his children? Was he standing to receive Stephen? There's a lot that could be said right there. They had an opportunity. And they rejected it. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and the Spirit of God's convicted you of your need for salvation, don't reject that call from God. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. Maybe God's been speaking to you about something else. Do what he says. Follow him. Don't be like these Jews. These Jews had their opportunity, but they kept missing it. And Stephen, I'm just glad he stood up for the truth. And we see a man in just the next week, we'll see how he gives his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in all reality, I believe because of what he stood for and what he said, we have Paul out of it. And Paul turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. But it took the death of Stephen. And Stephen was willing to do what was right, to stand for what's right. And may we today stand for what's right. I want to encourage you, our world doesn't know what right is. The word of God is still right today. May we preach, and this is the thing, in all reality, was Stephen being very mean to them and hateful to them and in their, he was not. He was preaching the truth, trying to warn them of what they needed, but they didn't want any part in it. Let's be bold in our witness, let's stand for Jesus Christ, and let's be like Stephen. Father.